Good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be with you this morning. (sighs) Will you all pray with me? Father, I just give you this morning. I give you the words that come out of my mouth. God, I pray that we can learn from Esther. Thank you for filling this place this morning. Thank you for filling every single one of us. And I pray, amen. Well, this morning I am preaching on Esther. Um, Have most of us heard the story of Esther? I know I have. But I don't know if any of you are like me, but when I hear Esther, I think of the veggie tale. Um, So I physically, when I hear Esther, I picture a green onion with hair and lips and eyes in my head. Like, I'm not kidding you, it's weird. I spent all week trying to erase it, but still, I say Esther, and the first thing that pops into my head is a green onion without arms or legs but somehow walking around, you know, and teaching us the story of Esther. And literally, as I was reading the book, Haman came up and I saw a squash. And then like Mordecai, I saw a pea. Like it's, it's ingrained. Like the story of Esther, I, I watched VeggieTales. If you haven't seen the VeggieTale version of Esther, you can find it on YouTube. Um, I don't say I highly recommend it, but if you want context, for why I picture vegetables when I hear stories of the Bible. There it is for my generation. What'd you say, Hannah? Oh, it's also on Amazon Prime. Yeah. <laughs> but I grew up with Veggie Tales, and so a lot of times when I hear stories of the Bible, that's what I picture. But Esther is like the one that just really ingrained, apparently. So we obviously are going to be looking at Esther a little bit differently. We will not be picturing a green onion, a gourd, or a pea while we walk through this story. Um, and if I'm honest, when I read this book, the book t- this past, the last couple of weeks, um, all of a sudden that veggie tale was obviously not 100% biblically, biblically accurate. And I was, um, there are parts of Esther's story that I really had a hard time with. Um, and there are parts of Esther itself. And so Esther is an entire book. So we're going to do the cliff note cat version of Esther. Um, we're not going to specifically focus on a specific passage in Esther. I, that was my original plan. Um, but then as I began to read Esther, um, it's very hard to do because Esther is this It's a weirdly put together book. It's a book of almost what feels like short stories. You read a chapter and you don't really get resolution. And the next thing you know, you're reading another chapter that's telling you a different story. And then you go to another section that's telling you a different story. And they all tie together and they all work together to give us the story of Esther. But it feels very disjointed and broken. And there's parts of it that you're like, what is the purpose? Like why, why do we have the book of Esther in the Bible? And honestly, that's something people have been trying to figure out for a really long time. Some people actually don't think the book of Esther should be in the Bible because it never mentions God. 
the book of Esther never talks about God, never says God's name, nothing. But if you read it, you can see God. And that brought up the whole thought of like, okay, we might not know where God is working and we might not always acknowledge where God is, but he's always there. And if you read, you can see God. Mentioning God doesn't necessarily mean that he isn't there. It doesn't mean that Esther's story is less important. It doesn't mean that we can't learn from her. So this morning, we're going to learn from Esther. Now, Esther, she became queen after Queen um, Vashti. And Queen Vashti, she was the queen who stood up to the king. She was throwing a banquet. The king requested that she come, and she said no. And so, because she had said no to the king, she suffered the consequence of her title being removed from her and her being banished. And so the king, after a while, realized, hey, I kind of liked having a queen. I want another one. And so he has his, he has his men go out, his eunuchs go out, and, and go around the provinces. And the provinces are like 127. They're, it's not like one city. It's like a ton of little cities. And they're brought to the capital of Susa, the Citadad. Is that how you say it? Cid, what? It's a capital. The, pl- the main place. They're brought there. And they are, they are the most beautiful women. And they are brought, and they go through a 12-month-long beautifying process. And they, which just like, if you're, okay, like, ladies, let's be real. Like 12 months of like become you're already been chosen because you're pretty and they're gonna make you more pretty like what they like dumped them in oil spices like 12 months like you better be walking out like you've got gold all over your body at this rate like i can't imagine going through a 12 month process of becoming beautiful enough to go before somebody right so it was all about appearance forget what you've got on the inside but what you look like, that's what matters. And so this is the part of this Esther's story, and I have gone back and forth of, do we talk about this, do we not? But if there's one thing I've learned in being in the church my whole life is we can't go away from history, and we can't really go away from what's in the Bible, and we have to teach it for what it is. And so this is the not-so-pretty part of Esther's story and all of the other women who were taken. Because that's the thing, they weren't, they didn't choose this. They were taken. And they were taken from their families to spend one night with the king, hoping that he would choose them to be his queen. And if they weren't chosen, they were sent to live in a harem and be one of his concubines for the rest of their life. They didn't get to go back to their family. They didn't, they didn't get to get married. That was their life. And so for Esther, she, she brought favor to the king. The king saw her and said, I want to make you queen. But I imagine she felt the weight of all the other girls because they were probably around 14 years old. All the other girls she saw lose what they thought was going to be their life to become something else. So there's weight in that. 
So Esther becomes the queen. And she's told by her uncle Mordecai to not tell anyone that she's Jewish. Why? We have no idea. There's no one that tells us how Esther was feeling. There's nothing that tells us why. We can speculate that it was because they were in a season. So Esther was written during a season of captivity and they were assimilating to the culture that was around them. Some might also say that her not revealing her ethnicity actually plays a role in how she saves her people in the long run. So Esther becomes queen. No one knows her ethnicity. And then this is where it kind of becomes a little choppy. Haman has an ego and he's one of the king's top guys, right? He wants people to see him as like second in command. So like if Matt were the king, we're just using Matt right now, and I were Haman, I would want you all to respect me just as much. Now, I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not putting us on those pedestals. This is just a visual. <laughs> just blanket statementing this. So Haman is out, and Mordecai is too, and he comes up and he requests that everybody bow down to him, and Mordecai refuses. And Mordecai refuses, and that makes Haman mad. And so Haman goes to the king, and again, this is Cliff Notes. If you want the full story, read the book of Esther. Um, so Haman goes to the king and says, Mordecai wouldn't bow down to me. I want to annihilate the Jews. I want to eliminate them. I want to pass a decree and just eliminate them. And the king doesn't question it. He hands over his signature ring and says, do what you want. So Haman sets forth a law that on a certain day, all the Jews, anyone who came in contact with a Jew could kill them. Didn't have to have rhyme or reason. If they were Jewish, they could die. Mordecai hears this and he mourns. He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth. That was their way of mourning. Because all of a sudden he realized that his action has now just affected not just him, but the rest of his people. And he feels that weight. So Mordecai goes in front of, goes to Esther. And actually he doesn't go to Esther because he can't really get to Esther. So he shows up in the, in like close to the castle royal, uh, royal like garden gate area in his sackcloth, which you don't really like show up in your, it's like me showing up what I look like when I first wake up in the morning. That's how I picture it. Like nobody needs to see that besides Jacob who gets the joy of that, my children. <laughs> and so he shows up in public in his sackcloth and Esther is like, Mordecai, I need to get you clothing. Like I need to dress you. And he's like, no. So he's coming to Esther, and I am going to read this. It's in Esther um, chapter 4, and he comes to Esther. Sorry. And he gives the written decree to Hathix and tells him to go to Esther and say, we are going to be annihilated. And then in verse 10, it says, Then Esther spoke, spoke 
to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Except the one whom the king holds out the garden, the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king, into the king these 30 days. And then Mordecai, what, ugh. and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in all the king's palace, you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night, three days, nights or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So Esther is brought with this request. And it's a big request, right? And, and some people kind of look down upon how Esther responded. But I'm going to be real. I'm pretty sure I would respond the same way. If someone was like, hey, if you don't go before the king and break laws, and potentially you might lose your life, but if you don't go before the king now everyone else is going to die. And she has what I would imagine is a pretty human response. Like, oh, that makes me a little nervous. That's a big ask. I'm not sure I want to do that. But when Mordecai points out like, hey, there's probably a pretty good chance that you also will die because you are Jewish. And she realizes, okay, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well try. So she does. She goes before the king. And he finds favor with her, and he holds out the golden scepter. And so she requests the king and Haman to come to a uh, banquet. And she has them come, and they eat together, and the king asks her, what do you want? And she says, come for another banquet the next night. And he says, okay. So he comes for, to another banquet. Now the king finds such favor with Esther that... He was going to give her, like, anything. Like, he was like, anything in my land you can have. And so in the second night, she reveals to the king the plot that Haman had made to annihilate her people. She reveals, hey, I'm Jewish, and there is someone out there, there is a foe out there who wants to kill me and my people. And so in that, the king walks away, and Haman begs for his life, and his life is taken. And in that, Mordecai comes before the king, and Mordecai is given the signet ring to write a decree to basically, they can't write one to erase what decree Haman had wrote, but they write one that says, Jews, you can defend yourself. 
So on that day, it was a specific day, on that day that came for the Jews to be killed, they fought back and actually had victory. And then they fought the second day and they had victory again. And that victory we call Purim. Purim, Purim, there it is. Put in an extra syllable, Purim. And Purim is actually still celebrated today. It's still something that the Jewish communities recognize. It is this great victory. And the book of Esther is read. Like from start to finish, they read the entire story of Esther. And they celebrate the victory that came. And so as we're sitting here and you're listening, you're probably thinking to yourself, this is a great story, Kat. Um, But why are we learning about it? What can we learn from Esther? What is it that, what is there for us? I think there's two things that we can take away from Esther. The first is, we don't have to hold all the power in our hands in order to enact change. So Esther, she didn't have very much. She wasn't like Vashti, who was vocal and on the front lines and said no to the king and was willing to stand up. She wasn't that way. That wasn't her personality from what we gather. That wasn't who she was supposed to be. Instead, She had her beauty, and she had favor with the king. When she went in front of the king, she dressed in her royal garb. She she got ready. She got beautiful. She knew what she had, and she used it to save her people. We might not have everything at the palm of our hands to enact change, but if we use what we do have, we can bring change. We as one church don't have everything we need to bring peace and wellness to just this area of Louisville. But if we use what we do have, which is people who are able to provide meals, or if we use what we do have as what we do for our jobs, what we use for resources, all the different things that we have at our hands, then we can help change community. I think of just the people sitting in this building and the people joining us on Zoom. And actually, Matt and I were talking about it this morning. Each, if, each one of you guys makes this church different. Each one of you causes this church to be who it is. Not Matt, not Matt, not me. I'm not Matt, that's Matt. We don't cause this church to be who it is. You guys do. Your stories, what you bring to the table, we are able to do what we do because of what you guys do. We we can see change if we just use what we have. So some of us, that might mean we have a loud voice. That might mean we have a far reach. But for some of us, that might mean that, like, we're a little bit in the background and we're more like Esther where we're just going to use the one or two things at our hands, at our fingertips. And as I was thinking about this, I was actually reminded of the, um, I was thinking about all of the protests that happened last summer. And I was thinking about the fact that there were people that were at the protests. 
much like if we're looking at people in the story, much like Vashti. They were the ones up in the front lines. They were the ones holding signs, and that's beautiful. But then there were some of us that were more like Esther and using the things that we have, which was our ability to pray, our ability to have one-on-one conversations with people who might not see injustice. And that was just as important as the people who were walking down the streets. And so what we have is what we can use to bring about change. And if we bring it to today, we think of our, fr- our like brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, whose country is just flipped upside down. And honestly, guys, there's not much we can do right now here. But what we do have is prayer. What we can do is pray. What we can do is, is love a little bit extra on the Browns. And what we can do is ask, how can we support the refugees in this city because they're hurting too? That's what we have at our hands. And the second thing, like I mentioned at the beginning, is we might not see God or understand what's happening, but he's still there. He's still working. You see, Esther should not have been able to do what she did. She should not have been able to go before the king in the inner circle without, without request and find favor because that didn't happen often. So that shouldn't have happened. And then on top of that, she shouldn't have been able to say not once but twice have the king at a banquet that she threw. He asked her three times what she wanted. That shouldn't have happened. We might not understand all of the little bits of what God is doing in our lives, but he's still working. We might not understand what God is doing in this world, but he's still working. That truth, that's what's getting our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan probably through each moment, not even each day. That truth is getting us through this season of COVID the season of unrest, this morning we have an opportunity to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. To pray that, God, we might not see what you're doing, but you're here, but you're there. And you're alive. So this morning, we're just going to spend a minute in prayer. And after, if, if you didn't get one, in the, on the back table, there is um, an Afghan prayer guide that you can take home. And each day, there's something different for you to pray through. And this can just be a tangible way for us to remember that We might not have much to enact change, but prayer is powerful. We might not see God working, but he's still working.
Will you pray with me? God, I pray for the local believers in Afghanistan. I pray for the local development workers. I pray for the foreign believers who have stayed, for your protection, your comfort, and your strength, for your discernment and your wisdom. God, I pray that right now, wherever they are, if they're sleeping, if they're awake, if they're walking, if they're mourning, if they're tearing their clothes, if they're worrying, if they're fleeing, wherever they are, Father, May they just be dumped right now with your peace, with a peace that surpasses all understanding, with a peace that we may never understand, God, and we will never see. But God, I pray that you would remind them that though they may not see you working, that you are still working. Though they may feel abandoned, you haven't abandoned them. God, I pray for the people sitting in these seats this morning, and and maybe that's our heart cry too, God, that we need to be reminded that you haven't abandoned us. You haven't forgotten us. You didn't leave Esther behind, and you haven't left us behind. God, I pray... For peace, for protection, for true shalom. We as the church here would be crying out for our brothers and sisters around the world who are hurting, who might feel abandoned. love you, Lord. We just thank you for the fact that you haven't left us. Here I pray. Amen.